From the heart of our nation's capital, here's Family Research Council President Tony Perkins. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to Washington Watch. Coming up as President Trump rebounds from the coronavirus, two members of the Senate Judiciary Committee who were at the Rose Garden event a week ago Saturday have tested positive for the coronavirus, this prompting Democratic Senate Minority Leader Chuck Schumer to demand this over the weekend. We are demanding today, along with millions of Americans and many, many groups, that the hearings be postponed. Missouri Senator Roy Blunt, chairman of the Senate Republican Policy Committee, is here with the latest on the confirmation process for Judge Barrett. That's coming up next in just a moment. Also, as I've mentioned a number of times, the media's myopic reporting of President Trump is dangerous, not just because of its opposition to the president. But this has given them tunnel vision, and many threats are being ignored. And one of the growing threats is communist China. Fortunately, House Republicans are working to bring awareness to this threat. Indiana Congressman Jim Banks joins me with details of House Republicans' China Task Force report released last week. And we're broadcasting Washington Watch today and tomorrow from Plymouth, Massachusetts, as uh, I'll be joining Pastor Carter Conlon of Times Square Church for a special broadcast tomorrow night here in Plymouth, just uh, yards from the Plymouth Rock. This year marks the 400th anniversary of the Pilgrim's Landing. The question is, what have we done with the freedoms God has given us? Pastor Carter joins me later with a preview of tomorrow night's event. And speaking of freedom, the Department of Justice is again weighing in on behalf of churches, this time in Washington, D.C. Assistant Attorney General Eric Dryband joins us later with the details. The website, TonyPerkins.com. If you're on Twitter, it is at T. Perkins, uh, or Parler, at T. Perkins as well. And uh, let me encourage you to join us tomorrow night. There's information on the website regarding the program here in Plymouth, Massachusetts. It's uh, Lord Forgive Us. Find out more about that. And also coming up next Sunday night from California will be It's Time. It's Time. Tune in for more. Go to the website, TonyPerkins.com, to com to find out more about it. All right, um, President Trump tweeting out today that we don't need to be fearful of this virus, and I say a hearty amen to that. Uh, having uh, having had the virus, gone through it, I think the fear of the virus is greater than the virus itself and what it's doing to the economy. And many are using it to try to stop the confirmation of Judge. Barrett. Joining me now to talk more about this is Missouri Senator Roy Blunt. He's the chairman of the Senate Republican Policy Committee, and he joins us with the latest latest Senate. Senator, welcome back to Washington Watch. Uh, Tony, great to be with you. Now, uh, as I mentioned at the top of the program, the minority leader, Chuck Schumer, using uh, two of the senators, actually there's been three, I think four now, that have tested positive for the coronavirus, uh, saying that we should stop the process when it comes to the confirmation hearings of Judge Amy Coney Barrett. Uh, how how are Republicans responding to that? Well, I, I'm sure we're not going to stop this process. And, you know, it's not been that many weeks ago uh, when uh, Democrats in the House had decided that they wouldn't even have to show up to vote on the House floor uh, shortly before that. Uh, we led the way in the Senate of coming up with the idea of remote hearings where people didn't need to be uh, in any one place to have those hearings. Uh, Senator Klobuchar and I worked together on that. We set that up through the Rules Committee. Uh, and from uh, the day we moved forward on those remote hearings, there have now been 150 uh, remote hearings. Twenty-five of them were totally remote, where Nobody was in the same room. No witnesses was in the same place. The members were all in different places. And the other 125 have been some combination of uh, witnesses and members either in the hearing room or out of the hearing room. Uh, largely, Republicans have participated in person more than Democrats have. But that is clearly a way that you can have a hearing. I'm glad that we have that practice already well-established. It met all of the uh, public uh, access uh, guidelines that you'd want to meet. And at least some of the Democrats uh, just weeks ago were insisting that you not have a hearing at all unless the the members had the option 
of being at a at a virtual location and still could participate in the hearing uh, would be the only way they would agree to moving forward with the hearing. So it's just another case of whatever circumstances uh, leader uh, uh, Schumer finds, he decides that's the reason now not to do what he doesn't want to do uh, anyway. And uh, we're go- we're going to move forward with this hearing as we should and with this confirmation as we should. Uh, it takes two things to put somebody on the Supreme Court, a president that will nominate them and a Senate that is willing to confirm them. And uh, we have a nomination and we have a Senate that's willing to confirm that nominee. And uh, that's going to happen. If I was betting, I think it'll probably happen uh, before the election, but it will definitely happen before the end of the year. Uh, Senator, the um, I want to go back to your comments from Senator Amy Klobuchar, because actually on May 6, when that agreement was reached, uh, she this was regarding a D.C. Circuit Court nomination hearing. And this is what she said. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. And also thank you for being willing to do a hybrid hearing like we were seeing today. Uh, and she made reference to you, Senator Blunt, and I. Uh, and the Rules Committee worked hard to get this done, and I'm glad that we are seeing senators there as well as remotely, so thank you. Now, let's uh, jump ahead to October the 3rd uh, when uh, Senator Klobuchar co-signed a letter to Chairman Graham that says, quote, to proceed at this juncture with a hearing to consider Judge Barrett's nomination to the Supreme Court threatens the health and safety of all those who are called upon to do the work of this body, end quote. I mean, the the virus was moving more rapidly back in the spring than what we're seeing right now. Certainly it was moving more rapidly in Washington in the spring than now. Now, I do want to say that her and I, because of the nature of the Rules Committee, uh, work together, and we work together well, uh, putting these hearings in place. She had a lot to do with that, and, uh, uh, you know, we, we, have, we have a good working relationship. But these are the same hearings that, the, the Judiciary Committee was having uh, to confirm, to have a hearing on a really important circuit judgeship, the level right below the Supreme Court. Every member that wanted to be at a hearing could be at the hearing, uh, and members that don't want to be at the hearing could still ask their questions, see uh, the candidate for Supreme Court, uh, give their answers and respond and have a back and forth as they would want to. But if they want to be in the hearing room, we've restructured all these hearing rooms so that you have more than six foot between uh, the members, the staff, very limited. Uh, Judge Barrett and her family uh, could uh, could uh, be there together and in a, in a, in a contained unit uh, of a family that's always together anyway, if they want to be there. I think this is the kind of hearing that when the American people see it, uh, they'll be pleased to see that uh, the Senate is adapting to the, the the tools that are available to us to get our work done. And I would say also, Tony, in the other hearings we've had, what we found is it's even easier in many times to get the witness you want because right. you're only asking for a couple of hours of their time as opposed to a day trip to Washington, a day to the hearing, and another day trip back to where they want to be. So the remote hearings work. The Democrats have participated eagerly uh, and remotely uh, in these hearings, and uh, they're going to see it work again when we have a hearing. They'll have that virtual option uh, if members want it for the Supreme Court nominee. So let me let me shift gears a little bit, Senator Roy Blunt. The the Democrats complaining about the the effects of the coronavirus, the danger, the safety issues. Let's talk about the status of the coronavirus relief package that uh, has been stalled for weeks now. Where's that? Well, so 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 frustrating. We need to do this. We need to get the, the, the kind of assistance people need to get back to school, back to work, back to child care when they need it, back to better health. We need to finish up the process of developing and having a distribution of, of the vaccine. All of that is largely agreed to. Uh, what we're arguing about are things with the exception of aid to state and local government, things that have nothing to do uh, with the virus, uh, things that have to do with uh, taking over the voting system in the country and federalizing it, 
or whether or not uh, in states where marijuana is legal, whether they can use the banking system or not. Uh, that may not be a bad idea, but it's not a coronavirus uh, issue. There's about a trillion dollars worth of that in the original House bill of the three trillion dollars. And there's still about a half a trillion dollars in the House proposal that has nothing to do with coronavirus. On the coronavirus itself, we are largely in agreement. And uh, I think our friends on the other side just keep holding out for more of what they want to get more of what the country needs right now, which is relief from the coronavirus, both economic relief and health relief and getting back to school uh, help. So, Senator Blunt, it's safe to say that uh, Democrats are using the coronavirus when you look at the Supreme Court vacancy and the confirmation hearings and you look at the relief to the American people, they're using it for politics. I think in both cases, uh, an effort to use this to get what you want as opposed to what the system calls for uh, right now. And uh, I, I believe the American people are seeing through that and uh, we need to move forward both with a relief package that's very focused on getting people back to work and back to school and back to better health and a, a Supreme Court nominee that uh, needs to have a hearing and needs to join the court. And I believe we're going to see that happen. And uh, I think we'll see it happen this month. Uh, one final question for you, Senator Blunt. I had um, Senator the Leader Mitch McConnell on last week uh, discussing the nomination. Of course, that was before the announcement of the president having the coronavirus and two members of the committee. Um, but it, it appears that this has not shaken his resolve or his focus at all on moving forward uh, in a timely fashion with uh, Judge Barrett. Well, without question, this is one of the most important things that the country does and the Congress does and the president does. And uh, I think you're absolutely right. The leader is committed to do this, just like he's been committed to take uh, the moment that we've had with the vacancies we've had in the federal court system. Uh, now about 30 percent of every of all the federal judges, the active federal judges, have been uh, nominated by President Trump and confirmed by this Republican Senate. And it will make a big difference for a generation in how people look at the Constitution and the law. Senator Roy Blunt, as always, thanks so much for uh, for joining us today. We appreciate you coming on Washington Watch. Hey, Tony, great to be with you. All right, take care. Senator Roy Blunt. Uh, let me, uh, I mentioned this earlier, the tweet that Donald Trump put out today saying that uh, he would be leaving Walter Reed Medical Center today at 6.30 p.m., feeling really good. Don't be afraid of COVID. Don't let it dominate your life. We have developed under the Trump administration some really great drugs and knowledge. I feel better than I did 20 years ago. I don't know about that last part, but look, don't live in fear. We cannot live in fear. I, I really appreciate the president uh, leading through this, even when it's affected him personally. And I think that, that, again, the fear of this virus is worse than the virus itself. All right, when we come back, we're going to talk about one of those things we need to keep our eye on, and that is communist China. Congressman... Jim Banks of Indiana joins us with a report from a task force in the House. Don't go away. In this important season for our nation, it is imperative for Christians to pray. While we have a responsibility to vote for biblical values and stand for truth, our priority should always be to seek the Lord first. Each week until the election, FRC and FRC Action will host a special Pray, Vote, Stand broadcast to equip you to pray, vote, and stand for biblical truth. We'll have experts, elected leaders, and Christian leaders join us for these half-hour programs that will help you see through the fog that's been created by the biased lenses of the mainstream media. While you're there, be sure to take the 2020 Pray, Vote, Stand Challenge and make a commitment to pray for our nation, vote biblical values, and stand for truth during this 2020 election season. To watch the broadcasts and to take the 2020 Pray, Vote, Stand Challenge, visit PrayVoteStand.org. That's PrayVoteStand.org. Since the 1973 Roe v. Wade Supreme Court decision, 
Congress and many states have taken various actions to stop taxpayer dollars from funding abortions or the abortion industry. As early as 1976, Congressman Henry Hyde led the effort to ban federal funding for abortions. The Federal Hyde Amendment, named after him, established the principle that abortion is not health care and therefore taxpayers should not be forced to fund abortions. Despite these efforts, the abortion industry still receives millions of dollars each year in taxpayer money. In 2019, Planned Parenthood, America's largest abortion provider, received $616.8 million in government funds. Family Research Council's newly updated pro-life map tracks how your state has taken action to stop taxpayer funding of abortions. Go to frc.org slash pro-life maps to see where your state stands in the fight for life. That's frc.org slash pro-life maps. Hey, Matt. Hey, Hannah. What's going on? Why so gloomy? Well, I'm a little disappointed. I had a lot planned to do during the stay-at-home time, and I just didn't do it. Oh, yeah? What did you have planned that you didn't get to do? Well, I was actually hoping I would finally be able to get time to do a regular Bible reading routine, and I started a couple of times. I just didn't stick with it. Don't be too down on yourself. Starting a new routine can be hard, but one way to help is to join in with others and to have a good game plan. I think I have a good solution for you. Oh, yeah? Tony Perkins and FRC are doing a two-year study in the Word. They have it all mapped out. When did they start? I I would be so far behind. Oh, that's not a problem. You can literally jump in any time. There's a daily reading just a couple of chapters a day with questions to help you think about what you're reading. Nice. Where can I find this? Go to frc.org slash Bible and you can get started. Where's that again? frc.org slash Bible. Got it. Checking it out now. Welcome back to Washington Watch. I'm your host, Tony Perkins. So glad to uh, have you with us. The website, TonyPerkins.com. All right, as I uh, mentioned at the top of the program, I think that the media and their myopic approach to trying to stop President Trump, they're missing. They're not reporting on a lot of what's happening and, and the real threats. This is a dangerous time. We live in a dangerous world. Well, last week, uh, a Republican-led task force uh, put out a report on communist China warning that they are a generational threat. They are both an economic and military threat. Joining me now to uh, to talk more about this, uh, Congressman Jim Banks. He represents the 3rd Congressional District of Indiana. He serves in the U.S. Navy uh, as a reserve. He, in 2014-2015, he took a leave of absence from the Indiana State Senate to deploy to Afghanistan during Operation Enduring Freedom. Uh, and uh, he serves on the House Armed Services Committee and was a part of this task force. Congressman, welcome back to Washington Watch. Hey, Tony, good to be with you. All right, uh, Jim, give us the, the, the highlights of this report. There were, there were 400 recommendations made, uh, in part dubbing the Communist Party in China as a generational threat. What rises to the top of the greatest concerns? Well, Tony, first and foremost, um, what this report shows is what we've already known, that for the last 40 years, politicians like Joe Biden have sought to appease and normalize uh, relationship, relations with China, turning a blind eye to their, their practices that harm American workers, that have, that have caused the rise of China's military, and for far too long we turn a blind eye toward it. So the China Task Force that was released last week as you said, hundreds of legislative recommendations. Many of them, by the way, are bills that have already been that have been compiled, that have only been introduced uh, in Congress this year or in years past. Two thirds of which have have previously received bipartisan support in the Congress. So there are recommendations in this report that have trade and, and economic um, uh, aspects. There are components of this report that that uh, dive into how we modernize our military to keep up with with uh, China's sophisticated military apparatus that in many ways has surpassed our capabilities. There are components of this report that deal with the ideological threat that China poses in the U.S. that has allowed them to to, uh, proliferate our college campuses and and build a narrative uh, that is too friendly toward China, aspects of the report that deal with IP theft 
by China that has stolen our intellectual property and our military secrets. We, co- we, cover, we truly cover it all in this exhaustive report that, that serves to be a guideline of how Congress and the administration can work together better in the future to combat the China threat. You know, Congressman Banks, one, one of the most significant aspects of this in the conclusions that I think is helpful going forward and, and I believe needs to be more fully understood by the American public and the business sector is that uh, the report concluded that decades of engagement with the regime in the hopes that they would liberalize have failed, leading the United States to turn a blind eye to the regime's rights violations, uh, economic and military aggression and broken promises. You know, this 25 years ago was giving them permanent most favored nation status was, well, we're going to change them and their values. But when you look at what's happening with the NBA and with uh, you know some of the biggest uh, corporations in America, it looks more like China has changed us than we've changed them. There's no question about it. And that's why you look back from, again, as you mentioned, most favored nation status to allowing uh, China to enter the World Trade Organization um, for far too long. And, th- and by the way, Tony, this is a, th- these are Republicans and Democrats who have served in Congress or have uh, served in the White House and administrations of the past. Until this president, until President Trump and his watch, Republicans and Democrats have, have uh, uniformly turned a blind eye to the bad practices of China, the human rights abuses against their own people, the coercion of, um, of, of America or our allies to do China's bidding on the world stage. For far too long, we've allowed that to happen and not done anything about it. President Trump is, in all of the things that he's accomplished, I contend that perhaps the most significant thing that, that Donald Trump has done in his four years in the White House is changed the, the worldwide conversation about how we, how we act uh, toward the China threat. And th- this uh, China task force effort very much falls in line with the administration's approach. Now, what, what I fear, Tony, I don't, I don't know what will happen on Election Day. I know what, what I hope will happen on Election Day. But the juxtaposition between Donald Trump and Joe Biden on these issues is so stark. And, and you've already seen Democrats, not, Democrats refusing to participate in this task force effort alone shows you this has become a partisan issue. Will, will we move forward um, after 2020 um, in this country continuing to address the China threat as we lay on the platform of ways that we can do that in this task force report, or will we go backwards towards the type of leadership that we've seen in the past who will fully turn a blind eye to China's activities? That's a dangerous proposition. It's why the timing of this report is so important. I, I think the timing is extremely important. I would think that the window of opportunity to address it has been opened by the world seeing what China did or didn't do with the coronavirus as you know we've been we've seen our businesses um, you know scaled back you know brought to a screeching halt churches and uh, places like that shuttered so I think people are now realizing that uh, the malign activity of China is costly yeah that, that's exactly right and the, the recent recent polling that's come out of the last last uh, few weeks, show that 9 out of 10 voters in America believe that China poses a threat to the United States of America. So what, while, while the rest of the country, Tony, is, is very bipartisan and uniform in their thinking about, about being tougher on China, that's not what you find in, Washington, in, the, in the Beltway in Washington, D.C. You have Democrats who are bailing on this subject and turning a blind eye while Republicans are trying to do something about it. Yeah, it's quite amazing when you consider that and the human rights abuses that continue to escalate uh, as reports come out about that from China. Uh, Congressman Jim Banks, thanks so much for joining us today. Great to be with you. All right. uh, We're going to keep an eye on this report, see what might what additionally might be implemented and how the administration takes it up and runs with it. All right. When we come back, as I mentioned, we're in Plymouth, Massachusetts. For the 400th anniversary of the Pilgrim's Landing, took place this year. There's a prayer event taking place last night as we return to the very spot that the Pilgrims landed. Pastor Carter Conlon, General Overseer of Times Square Church, who's leading the effort, joins me here on Washington Watch right after this. Oh, man. 
What's wrong? I just missed Washington Watch with Tony Perkins, and our congressman was going to be on the show today. Oh, that's not a big deal. What do you mean? Well, you can always catch the replay of the day's show. How's that? With the Stan Firm app. Yeah? Yep, you can catch that day's program and so much more. You can contact your elected officials on campaigns and policies that are important to you with the Take Action tab. You can listen to Washington Watch with Tony Perkins live and play previous episodes while conveniently going about your day. You can access the Washington Update, informative blogs, tweets, and critical campaigns on the main feed so you can stay up to date on local and national news. Wow, i definitely use that. How do you find the app? Just visit frc.org slash app and download or search Stand Firm in the App Store. Okay, that's Stand Firm. Yep, Stand Firm. How do you know all this? Because I'm a SageCon, but that's another story. Huh? Are you looking to grow closer in your relationship with Jesus Christ and in your knowledge of God's Word? Family Research Council has a three-part series titled, Three Ways to Read the Bible. This series shares helpful ways to be encouraged and directed by God's truth by observing the text of the Bible and applying it to your life. There is no better time than now to get to know God through His Word by looking into the Bible to see what it says about itself, God, and humanity. There's no better time than now to begin devoting time to the Lord and to seek out His meaning for you. This blog series is a great primer on opening your eyes and heart to Him through the Bible amid the toils and troubles of today. Check out this helpful resource and learn how to read the Bible with not just your eyes, but with your heart and mind as well. To learn more, visit frcblog.com slash ways to read. That's frcblog.com slash ways to read. I'm Tony Perkins, your host. This is Washington Watch. We're broadcasting from Plymouth, Massachusetts, here uh, where it all began. 400 years ago this year, the Pilgrims landed, stepped onto Plymouth Rock, and began what we now know as what eventually became the United States of America. Returning to this very spot tomorrow night, there will be a worldwide prayer meeting. People will be tuned in from all over the world. Uh, to pray as we return to this spot. And the program is entitled, Lord, Forgive Us. What did we do with the freedoms that we've had in the last 400 years? Joining me now to talk more about this and how you can be a part of it is Pastor Carter Conlon. He's the general overseer of Times Square Church, and he is the one that God placed this vision on his heart some time ago. Pastor Carter, welcome back to Washington Watch. Tony, what a pleasure to be here with you again today. God bless you. I know earlier today you and I were actually on a replica of the Mayflower, uh, amazed at just how small that vessel was that carried the 100 and uh, I think four passengers over and that I think 66-day journey. Yeah, it was incredible when you when you look at it and you just see what, what they had to endure uh, for the sake of the freedom to worship, and uh, it, it uh, as with you, obviously, it just so stirred my heart today to for God to give us the courage to fight for the next generation and not cave in under the the pressures that we're facing to be silent in our time. Yeah, they they risk it all to to come over and to establish what I said as what became the United States of America. Talk a little bit about tomorrow night's event, how people can be a part of it, and the the goal, the objective that you have for tomorrow night's prayer event. Well, tomorrow night's prayer event, we're going to be beginning with asking the lord now this you know it's important for people to understand that uh it, uh this this prayer meeting was initiated by god it's not our idea uh we were led here sovereignly by him for a purpose that we didn't even understand when we came the first time in 2019 to plymouth um but we will be in the very first house a house that's built in 1790 on the actual foundation of the very first house where the 51 surviving pilgrims gathered and prayed and they, without strength, without strategy, without a go-forward plan, and uh, weak and emaciated and surrounded by enemies, 
they asked God that he would give them a nation where all people uh, after them could worship freely and without uh, uh, without hindrance. And so here we are 400 years later to talk about what, what did we do with the freedom that God gave us. And so the first part of that prayer meeting, I'm going to be asking for forgiveness for the, the sins that we've committed, the blatant sins that we've committed as a nation against God himself and against the the purpose, in a sense, of why this nation was founded. And then from that moment, there'll be people from all different walks of life, from government right through to a student, a high school student, and, and everything in between who'll be asking for the blessing of God and the, the favor of God on this nation one more time, realistically, for uh, a third and possibly final great spiritual awakening in America. So this is, this is why we're here. And uh, if, if the Lord has led us to do this, then we believe that he's got it in his heart to answer our prayers. So this is, uh, it'll be at uh, 7 p.m. Eastern Time till 9 p.m. Eastern Time. People can go to it's time, it's time to pray.org, or they can go to Times Square Church, that's tsc.nyc, York City, or they can go to Times Square Church YouTube. There'll be all different avenues, uh, different ways that people can come in and on their laptop or cell phone or whatever it is, be part of this meeting. And and hundreds of uh, Christian radio stations are carrying this live as well. Well, the uh, the uh, one of the owners of the the the, the, the hub uh, uh, that feeds most Christian radio stations in the country told me last night he was stunned. That was the word he used. That the number of stations that are preempting their existing programming to carry this live because there's a witness that this is a divine moment for the nation and. Uh, I don't hesitate. I don't hesitate to say that to agree with that. This this is a divine moment for this country. Well, and for what I have seen as this unfolded from your initial visit here to uh, to Plymouth, I can say God's hand clearly has been a part of this, or has been upon this and directed it as it has uh, unfolded. And just the just as we've been here twice now in preparation for this, the kind of the spiritual warfare surrounding it suggests to me that this is something significant. Oh, yes, absolutely. Absolutely. And there, there's no doubt about it. And uh, just even the incidences that led up to it, the, this, uh, this, uh, this uh, couple that were led of God to sell their business and come here and buy this house and just wait, um, beginning to pray with us in New York City in our worldwide prayer meeting. And, and he, his name is Jerry, saying, Lord, could you arrange it that I could meet this man? And uh, for uh, my wife, Teresa, and I to be sitting on a bench just yards from their house last august you know you can see the lord has has orchestrated all the pieces together and uh it's his initiative this prayer right. that's what makes it very unique well we, uh, we approach it with great reverence but with anticipation uh, and so folks i want to encourage you to be a part of it uh, pastor carter thanks so much for uh for, for being obedient to the lord and leading out on this thank you tony god bless you now Folks, I want to encourage you to be a part of this. You can find out more. Go to TonyPerkins.com. We've got links up. It'll be on my Facebook page tomorrow night as well. Uh, I do think this is a significant moment, just as the return was uh, a week ago Saturday and the prayer march in Washington, D.C., and another event that we have coming up next Sunday night in California from coast to coast. Uh, it's time. It's time for God's people to return to him, to pray, to seek his face, and to stand on biblical truth. All right, speaking of those freedoms we stand for, the Assistant Attorney General Eric Dryband joins us next. Don't go away. Masculinity in America has never been under attack the way it is today. We've reached the point where the term itself is considered toxic or offensive to many. The consistent message in our nation is that masculinity by nature is bad and is the root cause of many of the problems plaguing our society. From his experience as a military combat officer and ordained minister of the gospel, Lieutenant General William Boykin has seen and dealt with firsthand the breakdown of leadership in our nation by the lack of godly men living lives of biblical purpose. In his latest book, Man to Man, Rediscovering Masculinity in a Challenging World, he addresses the essential elements of manhood as a provider, an instructor, a defender, a battle buddy, and a chaplain and explains how to personally develop these traits and pass them to the next generation. Get your copy today of Man to Man, wherever books are sold. 
The rapidly changing moral landscape of the 21st century presents a challenge for Christians committed to biblical sexual ethics. An uprising against morality has overturned centuries of norms concerning the family, marriage, and human sexuality. Secular culture is not the only challenger of Christian sexual ethics. Increasingly, theologically liberal churches and denominations are rejecting the church's historic teaching on marriage. As a result, Christians are facing increasing pressure to compromise the Bible's teaching on human sexuality. How should Christians who are committed to God's word respond to these challenges? What does the Bible teach about sexuality? Family Research Council has a new publication that presents the biblical principles for human sexuality. It lays out a survey of culture, scripture, and church history that will help pastors and all Christians meet modern-day challenges to biblical sexuality with truth and love. To access this publication, visit frc.org slash human sexuality. The history of the United States is preserved in archives, books, and the collective memory of the American people. It is also preserved through monuments and memorials that visually represent the extraordinary history of our nation. To tell these stories and remind ourselves of the importance of these memorials, Family Research Council has a new blog series highlighting the most recognizable and popular monuments in our nation's capital. This series devotes particular attention to the historical and spiritual themes depicted in each monument, sharing some not-so-well-known facts about their history, design, and symbolic meaning that shed light on our nation's deep religious heritage. This series aims to inspire the next generation to see the importance of these monuments and to remind us of the virtues and lessons that they memorialize. To read FRC's monument series, visit frcblog.org slash monuments. Again, that's frcblog.org slash monuments. You're listening to Washington Watch. I'm your host, Tony Perkins. So glad to have you with us. Again, the website, TonyPerkins.com. If you're on Twitter or Parlor, it is at T. Perkins. And, and again, I want to underscore, uh, if you at all possible, participate tomorrow night in the Lord Forgive Us, the, the prayer event that's taking place from Plymouth. Again, information at the website, uh, TonyPerkins.com. But as uh, Pastor Carter was mentioning, you know, the... Uh, the, the risk that those uh, 102 pilgrims took as they crossed over uh, on the Mayflower and then what they faced as they, uh, through the first winter, losing about half of their population was to, not just for the freedom of worship, but the freedom of religion, to be able to live their lives according to their faith to be able to raise their children. In fact, uh, Bradford, in his uh, book, A Plymouth Plantation, lays out four reasons they came over here and they faced the challenges that they were facing. And and the third and fourth, which was kind of the culmination of their list, was, number one, they wanted their children not to be exposed to the corrupt and godless environment in which they were living, the culture. And so they wanted to come over here and create a, a, a community based upon God's truth. And then secondly, they said, you know, they wanted to spread the gospel, even if they were to be just stepping stones for others to accomplish such a great work. Well, today, here we are 400 years later, and there are some still contending for the faith because there are others who are really, it's almost come full circle where we see this effort to restrict religious freedom. And I'm here to say I'm so grateful for a federal administration, a Department of Justice, that is actually standing up and defending the First Amendment rights of American citizens. The latest uh, being this this past Friday uh, in D.C., where churches have been restricted in a way, uh, meeting outside in a way that protests are not restricted. And then, of course, some victories uh, over the weekend in Michigan, where uh, the overreach of the governor was uh, basically called out by the Michigan Supreme Court. Uh, here to talk more about this, the uh, Assistant Attorney General under uh, Eric Dryband is with us. He's in the Civil Rights Division. Uh, Eric, welcome back to the program. Tony, thanks for having me back. Let me let me start first. I uh, I, I read your release over the weekend, uh, basically celebrating the Michigan or commending the Michigan Supreme Court for their ruling 
that basically said the governor had overreached in her restrictions on First Amendment freedoms of the citizens of Michigan. Yeah, that's correct. So what what happened there, Tony, was that the governor was issuing orders, pandemic-related orders, shelter-in-place orders. Some some of them we regarded as arbitrary. You know, certain businesses could be open, others had to be shut, things of that nature. And several months ago, we filed papers in federal court, initially in Michigan, then later we wrote directly to the governor, myself and the United States attorneys in Michigan, and asked her to cooperate with the state legislature so that she could act lawfully. Instead, what she did was she blew off the state legislature. Then the Michigan Supreme Court just determined that in doing so, she violated uh, state law uh, and that she was not authorized to just simply issue orders. In this country, the Constitution of the United States guarantees a Republican form of government in every state, and that means that we don't operate by dictates. We don't issue executive orders unless they are lawfully authorized. In this case, the Michigan Supreme Court determined that the governor had exceeded her authority. Now, the, um, in some cases, now, these, many of these restrictions were still in place. And so as a result of this ruling, um, there, the attorney general there and others are saying they're not going to enforce the restrictions in place by the governor. But in some cases, uh, these restrictions have been dropped as the, these challenges have made their way through the courts. Um, you know, because I mean, this takes a long time. I mean, we've been at this now for over six months. And in, in those cases, it's still important to see these things through because where we end in this pandemic, if you will, is where we will possibly start in the next one. That's correct, Tony. And And what we're seeing is, Certainly, state and local officials have broad authority to deal with a public health crisis, but at the same time, they must do so in a manner that's lawful, and they must do so in a manner that respects our liberties, including, among other things, our right to worship, our right to exercise our religion as we deem appropriate, uh, and the Constitution of the United States protects those rights. And, and certainly here at the Justice Department, we are doing everything we can to challenge any violation of our constitutional rights when we become aware of it. Let's talk about uh, Friday. You filed a letter of interest in a case in Washington, D.C., a church that, if I have the facts correct, we're simply wanting to meet outside. Uh, There's restrictions for churches. No more than 100 people can meet outside. Uh, But there was a double standard because for protest, that minimum or that maximum of 100 was not in place. And so uh, you filed a letter on behalf, uh, a, a letter of interest, uh, backing up this church filing suit against the mayor of D.C. That's correct, Tony. So what, that, that case involves a church by the name of Capitol Hill Baptist Church. It is a church that has more than 850 members, and, and part of their religious faith is that they must meet in person as a complete body uh, to worship each Sunday. And so... When the pandemic hit, what they were doing, because they were prohibited from meeting in Washington, D.C., they would go outside of Washington to Virginia, for example, to try to gather as, as a congregation and worship. They now, though, that's very difficult for many of these the members of the church because they most many of them live in Washington, D.C., and so they would like to worship outdoors, maintaining social distancing, but they would like to worship as a congregation. They're trying to do this when, in fact, the District of Columbia city government is permitting protests to occur with thousands and thousands of people. And, in fact, the mayor of Washington, D.C. was quoted as essentially saying that these protests somehow have a different type of protection than members of Capitol Hill Baptist Church do or other religious worshipers. And we we think that's wholly inconsistent with the protections of the First Amendment to the Constitution. Uh, And so we filed a statement of interest in support of the church. And we hope and expect that either the mayor will back off or that, if necessary, the federal court will order her to back off. It's quite amazing that we continue to see this in jurisdictions around the country. We saw it in Nevada. That was a case that you weighed in on where casinos uh, had uh, the right to, to have more people percentage-wise than, than churches did. How is it that we can see these government officials using a double standard, and they think they can get away with it. 
I, you know, that's one thing, Tony, I'm, I'm wondering myself. I mean, I, I hate to suggest that any public official would have hostility to uh, the right of all Americans and all people in this country to exercise their religion. On the other hand, when we see restrictions on people's ability to gather and worship that are not applied to other kinds of gatherings, and we see this so frequently and commonly, it does raise a question of what is going on with some of these public officials in cities throughout the United States in particular. We have a case now, another case out in San Francisco, that until mm -hmm. recently restricted uh, houses of worship to one person at a time. Uh, we, we, myself and the United States Attorney in San Francisco, wrote to the mayor of San Francisco and respectfully requested that uh, the mayor ease those restrictions. They've been eased to some extent, but we, you know, we continue to see this thing, not just in Washington D.C. and San Francisco and in other places around the country, and it is becoming a very disturbing trend. I mean, it was one thing back in March or April when we, the pandemic was new and we weren't sure what we were dealing with and so forth. And, you know, state and local officials were trying their best, many of them, to, to deal with a public health crisis. But as you said earlier, we're six months or more into this thing. And, you know, if, if state and local officials want to keep infringing upon people's constitutional rights and their religious freedom, the jo Department of Justice will keep at it here and keep fighting against that. You know, I, uh, I was watching with interest in the case in San Francisco when you, fought, when you wrote that letter you know, I was thinking about that one person at a time. Now, I've I've been, as a pastor, I've preached where I felt like I was the only person there. But I'm not sure how you have a church service with just one person. Because if you're the pastor, you're one person and nobody else gets in. Uh, it, it's kind of hard to have a church service if you can only have one person at a time. That's correct. And what was particularly disturbing is... You know, some of these churches in San Francisco, as you may know, Tony, are quite large, can accommodate a thousand or more people. Some of them is more than two thousand people, right. and there simply is no, there's no reason to restrict a, a house of worship of that size to one person, all by him or herself. Um, and you're right; it would, as a practical matter, would outlaw any kind of church service or a religious gathering of any kind, even with three or four people, even two people. And well, at, at the same time, there, though, there they were putting gatherings in places like tattoo parlors, hair salons, and massage studios. Right. I mean, you know, the, the, it, the Constitution it, doesn't protect tattoo parlors. It does protect the right to religious freedom. And, and it's really troubling when we see this trend. Sorry. It, 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 is very tr it is very troubling, and I think it is a – I think it's an indictment against the prevailing culture that has forgotten – that we have a First Amendment freedom, and that freedom goes all the way back to the beginning. You heard me mention that I'm in Plymouth right now. I was uh, this morning standing by Plymouth Rock. And, I mean, that, that goes back to the very beginning of why we started this grand experiment, uh, that it was for religious freedom. And to, to the issue of, you, you talked about, you know, this thing, back in the spring, but we're, you know, we're se seven months into this. And I went back and was just looking at the, the Spanish flu uh, epidemic in 1918 to kind of, you know, use that as a benchmark. Um, and, and I was reading where in most cases, the churches weren't shut for more than a month. And most of that was voluntary. In some bigger cities, they were, they were forced to shut down, but not for more than uh, about a month or so. We're going on uh, six, seven months. How long is this going to last? Well, I, I don't know the answer to that, but I think I think you're right in terms of the whole purpose of the United States of America. For for several centuries now, people from all over the world have come to this country to escape religious persecution elsewhere, and knowing that when they arrive here, they are free to practice their religion, and that freedom does and must continue to extend even during a pandemic. And I think if, if public officials throughout the country continue the kind of restrictions on religious liberty, while at the same time permitting gatherings of thousands and thousands of people for other reasons, they're going to find themselves at odds with the United States Department of Justice. And we will continue everything we, to do everything we can to oppose this kind of restriction on religious freedom. One final question for you, Eric Dryban. The, uh, what, what are you seeing? Are we seeing, and I think you made references earlier, that it, it doesn't appear to be lessening, that we still have some you know, holdouts that are continuing to be restrictive in a in a way that is um, applying a double standard. That's correct. Now, that's correct, and it's both regrettable as well. I, I think 
my hope is that the more we bring attention to this problem, the more we oppose what state and local officials do on occasion um, of this nature, that mayors and governors and others around the country will start to understand that they cannot lightly and, in fact, should not trample on religious freedom, and they should treat houses of worship, individuals, of people of faith, uh, congregations with the same respect that they treat other institutions and certainly other institutions like tattoo parlors and massage studios at a minimum. Right. Um, because because religion occupies a special place in our country, but it also occupies a special place in our legal structure, in our legal system, beginning with the Constitution of the United States. And, and and so I think hopefully we can educate public officials if they don't understand this, but if necessary, we will continue to go into federal court and other courts if necessary to defend the right of all Americans to worship and exercise their religion. Uh, Eric Dryband, let me just say this, as troubled as I am by all of this, and I am deeply troubled by it because I think it um, on many fronts, which I'm not going to go into right now, but I am thankful and grateful for the Trump administration, for uh, Attorney General William Barr, who has placed a priority on this as the president has, and for them putting you in charge of the Civil Rights Division to, to make sure that religious freedom is protected. So just know this, uh, Eric, that many, many, many uh, millions of people are grateful for the work that you're doing to defend this right, and we would encourage you to, to continue. Well, thank you, Tony. That's awfully kind of you. But it's a real uh, privilege and pleasure to do this work, and we will continue. But thank you for your kind words. All right. Thanks so much for joining us, Eric. Okay. Thank you, Tony. Eric Dryban with the Department of Justice. And I'm telling you, folks, night and day difference. Can you imagine if this coronavirus would have, this epidemic would have broken out um, under the Obama administration? I mean, not only would they not have been standing between the church and these overreaching, zealous uh, elected officials, they would have been joining them. It's time. It's time that we exercise this freedom, that we face the fear of the unknown, as the president was saying earlier today. Uh, This is a fundamental freedom. There is a correlation, I believe, what's happening in our streets what's happening in our neighborhoods, what's happening in our economy. When our churches are shuttered, all of society suffers. All right, folks, a lot of work to be done. Have you taken the challenge to pray, vote, and stand? We need to be praying for this nation. Again, join us tomorrow night in this uh, worldwide prayer meeting. Lord, forgive us. If, If you haven't registered to vote, depending on where you live, you're almost out of time. So register to vote, commit to vote, and then stand for biblical truth. All right, folks, thanks so much for uh, joining us. Let me encourage you again, go to the website, TonyPerkins.com. Lots of resources there for you. Also, visit the uh, the website, PrayVoteStand.org. A lot of resources there for you as uh, we move closer to this election. Until next time, I leave you with the encouraging words of the Apostle Paul found in Ephesians 6, where he says, when you've done everything you can do, when you've prayed, when you've prepared, and when you've taken your stand, by all means, keep standing. Washington Watch with Tony Perkins is brought to you by Family Research Council and is entirely listener-supported. Portions of the show discussing candidates are brought to you by Family Research Council Action. For more information on anything you've heard today or to find out how you can partner with us in our ongoing efforts to promote faith, family, and freedom, visit TonyPerkins.com. Also, to leave a comment about Washington Watch, call our watch line at one 866 372-7234. That's 1-866-372-7234.